There's nothing like it. It is powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, a couple things before I start my message I want to say. First of all, um, we're, a little, we're a little heavy over on this side. I don't know if you all noticed that. But we've got these Cape and Ray students that are here. We just want to say hello. Good to see you. Yeah, good to have you. And we're also thankful that our Cleo students are here too. I don't want you to feel, you know, yeah. And secondly, if you feel like there's a little bit kind of a, a, a glow happening, it, you know, we did spend a nice evening last night at a, um, uh, a fundraiser for Family Life, uh, and that was really wonderful and that was great, but that's not the reason why. Um, although that's good and we would encourage, we'll give you more information about how you could be involved in Family Life. But this is just a proud papa moment here. Right now I'm preaching and m my son is preaching too. Uh, isn't that pretty cool? So, um, yeah, just a, I'm just in my mind, I'm just thinking of that and saying, you know, Lord, use, use him uh, as he preaches. And it's kind of cool because I, I uh, saw, I get the little notice that uh, uh, their bulletin on Facebook, and my son, he usually tells me when he's preaching. So anyways, I texted him, I said, hey, you're preaching, I'm praying for you. He texted me back, says, yeah, he says, uh, the pastor has COVID. And he says, I've had to step in. So it's even more daunting uh, for him. But anyways, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. All right. <clears throat> so, tell you a little bit uh, sometimes what happens to me. My, my, my eyes open, and it's morning time. I feel like morning has come way too soon. And I want my alarm clock to stop chirping at me. I want to roll over and just sleep a little longer. I try. I hit the off button, and I roll over. But my mind begins to think, this is always bad. I know what it means. It means that I'm not going to go back to sleep. So I lay there for a few moments, thinking about my day, all that I need to get accomplished. How am I going to get it done? Feeling guilty about what I'm behind on all the emails, the phone calls, the visits that need my attention. So I began to plan how I'm going to tackle to accomplish this to-do list that I have. And I wonder how I might add just a few more minutes to my day. Wishful thinking, I know. And then I think, if I could just split myself in two, that would be good. I know this is irrational thinking, but it's the way that I feel. The weight of responsibility mounts. As my mind begins to think and categorize my day, I feel hurried, I feel in a rush. What I need, all the things I need to get done. My instinct is to jump out of bed and begin to rush around so that I can get to the office and start my day. Adam Walter writes, to walk with Jesus is to walk a slowed, unhurried pace. He says, hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Pete Cazero says, the hour, the need of the hour is a slowed down spirituality. And Dallas Willard in his famous words says, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life today. The temptation is to jump out of bed, to rush, to hurry my morning, it feels so real, but I've been here before. 
And in many ways, I know that this is a, a fool, it is fool's errand. It's not the way I want to live. I know that if I respond with, to these emotions, I will compromise the very thing that I need, Jesus. So, I take a few moments, I lie in bed, take a few deep breaths, and remind myself that I cannot control my life, and I surrender my day to God. I deliberately, I deliberately move slowly out of bed. And here is where I realign my thoughts, my processes. And I know the most important thing I need in my day is making myself a cup of coffee. No, that's not it. The most crucial part of my day is spending time at the feet of Jesus, my master, whom I am his student. Don't get me wrong, I love to work. I love to be doing something. But there is a difference between being active and being busy. Being busy is where I am in control of my life. Being active is where my life is being controlled by the Lord. So does this resonate with you? You know, I know many of you sit here and you are retired. And, um, and I would think that being retired, this is not part of your life. Busy, hurry, no way, not at all. But, you know, I have talked to some of you and I have talked to many others who have been retired. And just for us, those that are not retired, you know, I want to tell you that their life doesn't slow down, all right? Some will tell me it even gets busier. Is that, is that you retired folks in here? Okay, yeah, you know it. It gets even busier. And, but I also know that some people who retire really do slow down and even slowing down can get in the way of being with Jesus. So you even retired folks here need to know how to learn how to slow down. And you might be a student here today. I know there's a few of you. And waking up a thought of work is not what is on your mind. Maybe a paper you need to get done, assignment you need to finish, some, some books you need to read. But more than likely, when you wake up, your thoughts are on what group of friends am I going to hang out with or perhaps the time you're going to spend with that special someone and wondering if they like you. Or maybe what you're trying to figure out is why that person didn't text you back last night, even though it was one o'clock when you finally texted, finished texting them, but we won't talk about that. But maybe you're wondering if the relationship still has any validity to it. The question that comes to my mind is, what does it look like to be with Jesus in the midst of our culture of 2023? I one could think that maybe back in the time of Jesus, it was much easier. It was much simpler, right? I mean, think about it. They, they walked everywhere they went. That's pretty good. They didn't have internet, smartphones, or any other distractions as we have today, right? So obviously for them, it must have been easier to be with Jesus. And the answer would be No. It wasn't. They were, they were distracted in their own world, in their own culture, in their own way because of the thing called flesh, the self, the thing called the devil or the person called the devil, and this world that we live in are all enough, no matter what culture we live in and what time we live in, that we would find that we are distractible and it's hard to spend time with God. So what is the solution? 
how do we stay active versus accomplishing what the culture tells us the norm is, is being busy? Don't you find that? Sometimes it's our, it's, our, it's our badge of honor to be able to say, how are you doing? And you say, I'm busy. And it feels good, doesn't it? I mean, we have met the cultural standard if we can say that we're busy. But is that really who Jesus was? Was he busy or was he active? And then how did he stay active and not busy? So I want us to look in Mark. That's where we are. And I know we're moving slowly. I promise you we will speed up. Although I will say to you that this week is my last message in Mark, and we're going to take a little hiatus, a little break here. And did I say that word right? I always like to make up words. So if I don't, you just fill in the blank, okay? I'm going to take a little break, and we're going we're to look at hospitality. Um, I love hospitality. And we're going to start off with community and hospitality, and what that looks like. But here we are in Mark, and I, I, uh, I want us to go back a little bit in our reading because I wanted to make a couple of observations. And the first thing that we see here in, in the beginning, in verse, um, in the, let me see here, let me find it. Uh, verse 33, and we read here that the whole city gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick and their various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in verse 35, and, he, he, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So here's a couple observations before we kind of jump into what I really want to talk about. First is this, is that Jesus was active. He healed a lot of people. A lot of people came. I mean, they were, they were piled up outside the door, and he spent all evening healing people because that's what he does, and that's pretty great, and that's pretty wonderful. And I just want us to see that Jesus was not sitting around doing nothing. He was doing something because that's what the Father does. I love it when Jesus says, God is always doing something, and I'm being part of that. Don't you want to be part of what God is doing? I do, and everything that I am in my life, and that's what I ask God every day I wake up. I'm asking him that I would understand what he's doing in the universe around me that I could be part of it. And so Jesus is active. To me, that's important. Secondly, is that after spending all that time healing people, and if you spend any time with people, sometimes people can be exhausting. You're never, I want to tell you as your pastor, you will never exhaust me, okay? I, you'll never do that. You'll, no, 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 I know you will never exhaust me. Um, he had to have been exhausted. He had to have been tired. What did he do? Do you, anybody see, what does he do after he gets done healing? What does he do? What does it say? No, no, he didn't. No, that's all right. <laughs> he got up early in the morning. What does that tell you? He went to sleep. Isn't that great? I love sleep. I wish it was easier for me. I get a little older and it doesn't quite come as often or as much as I would like. If you, as young people, you, you don't waste your sleep staying up. Why do that? Because when you get older, you can't sleep. 
Now, some of you might be blessed, you just wherever, but for me, sometimes I go to sleep and then I wake up and I can't get back to sleep. It happened to you? Anyway, sleep is a good thing. And I just want us to see that Jesus slept. He did something good. We need to sleep. It's important. They, okay, slow down. <laughs> Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Uh, there's all kinds of things on sleep. You should really study it. We need to sleep. And sleeping seven to nine hours a day is good for us, all right? Um, that gives you a lot of margin, seven to nine hours. Um, so, Jesus sleeps. And I, and I just want us to, to understand that, Je- that Jesus was fully human. He needed to sleep. But what was his response after he slept? And it's this. He needed to spend time with the Father. Jesus knew this. He knew that he needed to be rooted with the Father. I heard this the other day in a, in a podcast, and I, I'm, gonna rip, I'm ripping this. I'm just ripping it off. Um, Tyler Stanton said this, where there are roots, there is fruit. Isn't that good? And I, I'm ripping that off of him. Where there are roots, there is fruit. And that's what we're looking at today. Because what Jesus does is he gives us an example. He gives us a model of what we need to do. We need to, where we put our roots. Because it's not a matter of, are you rooted? Okay? That's not the question. Because we will always root ourselves somewhere. It's where we are rooted. Where are you putting the majority, your, your king roots? Where are you rooting yourself? Because that is what is most important. And Jesus gives the example that where he is rooting himself is with the Father. That's his primary source. Jesus puts down his roots by spending time with Abba. And so throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus went away to an isolated place, to a deserted place, to the desert to spend time with God. So you can look through Mark 6, 46, Luke 5, 16, which we're going to look at in a moment, Luke 6, 12, Luke 9, 18, Luke, uh, Luke 11, 1, and Matthew 26, 36 to 45. All of those, plus many more, talk about Jesus going away, whether by himself or with a group of people or with just a small group of people and spending time in prayer with the Father. It's a pattern, and it's an important pattern for you and an important pattern for me. So there's two points that I want us to look at today. Jesus spends time with God in solitude and in silence. And I want to try to unpack these two things today. I want us to try to unpack what it looks like to to operate with solitude and silence in our lives, okay? That's where we're going today. Now, I'm going to take a little break here just for a moment because some of you right now are saying to me, but Scott, and I, listen, solitude and silence, okay? First of all, that's for sissies, okay? Um, Secondly is, have you ever been around an ADHD person? And my answer would be, yes, I have. I've lived with one, and no, it's not Raina. I want to tell you that if you're somebody that just, as you think, I don't have, I, maybe it's hard for me to sit, you have a hard time sitting 
And when I talk about silence and solitude, it's as if you struggling with being claustrophobic, I'm telling you, you need to get into a trunk and spend time with God. You start to go, ooh, I just can't do this, all right? So for those of you who are active people, and when I talk about this, I don't want you to just to tune me out, okay? I want to tell you that there's a place and a space that you can operate in solitude and silence that's not going to place you in a singletary place, so, I'm just saying, active people, don't tune me out here, okay? It's not a time to sleep. Follow along with me. Sound good? All right. So, let's talk about solitude. Um, solitude. I wasn't going to put that second one up. Is there, is there one with just the first one up there? No? Okay. There we go. All right. I messed it up. Uh, solitude. Solitude is to be a place of satisfaction. Um, hmm. All right, just leave that there. Do not touch it, because I messed up. Solitude is a place of satisfaction where being in the presence of God, you understand words are not necessary. I like that. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. At some point in time, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what I'm, I mean by false self, but really what this is, is, is solitude is a furnace of transformation because it brings us to a place where it removes us from our normal working, operating life to get us to a point where we can begin to untangle the things that tangle us up, that we can actually hear and see God. So understanding this is, is so important. And, and what is interesting is one of the greatest epidemics, okay, we just went through a pandemic, and coming out of a pandemic is an epidemic. Does anybody know what the epidemic is right now, according, according to the, the medical people? Hmm? No? Not lack of sleep, no? Loneliness, who said that? Scott. Yeah, loneliness. Loneliness is our new uh, epidemic that is happening in our society today, which is crazy, but it's true. And as we talk next week about community, it will fall a little bit more into that, but we have a society who has lost the art of being with other people. And we are lonely. We're a lonely society. We don't know what it means to be alone with ourselves and with God. We have, we have replaced our human companionship with digital companionship. And so we struggle. I actually think that we're afraid to be alone with God and our thoughts. Because we wonder what he may think of us or what he may say to us. We sang that song, Come Out of the Hiding, right? And, um, oh man, there's a, there's a whole message in that right there um, because of, of, of God calling Adam and Eve to come out of the hiding. So, why is solitude the furnace of transformation? Because, because when we sit alone with God, 
without the distractions, we, we begin, he begins to reveal to us our lives. He begins to reveal to us what we need to put off, as I talked about last week. What do you need to put off? What do you need to take off of this world? And what do you need to put on of him? And when we sit in solitude with him, we begin to hear him speak to us and say, this part of your life, it needs to be taken off. And this part of who I am needs to be put on. And that is the great exchange. It is a great exchange that he's given us. You get to take something off and you get to put something on. And whatever you're taking off, I can tell you, whatever you're going to put on is so much greater and so much more wonderful than what you're taking off. But sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. And solitude affords us the opportunity to actually engage in the great exchange. Someone has said that solitude becomes a place of great struggles. And it's that very place where God begins to talk to you and speak to you and begins to point out as you read his scripture after spending time just quietly before him and he points out in your life this here, this gossip that you're doing, this pornography that you're viewing, this relationship that you are in, this attitude of judgment that you have these lies that you tell. And he points it out, and it is a great struggle to hear these things. I was with Carmen. Uh, we were sitting and we were talking about... Um, uh, uh, no, come to me. Don't tell me. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Um, how we need to do evaluations, how I need to be evaluated as a pastor. It, it's important. Although I don't like it, because you know, I don't want to hear bad things, because my greatest insecurity in life is that somebody won't like me. And when I hear criticism, then I struggle with that. But, but God isn't criticizing me. He's, he's helping me to be transformed and be changed. But here's the other thing. Solitude. Not only will I find some of my greatest struggles in my moments of solitude, but it is also the place of my greatest encounters with God. It can be some of my greatest encounters with God. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And again, we read in verse 15, it says, But now even more, the report of him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus would draw to these, these places where he was alone. Lots happening in his life. Lots of, maybe we call it busyness or activity and his normal practice, what I want us to see here is that, is that he went to these places. In other, in other translations, he says he often went into places where he could be alone. Often, do you hear that? Often that's where he went. My question to you, how often do you actually sit with him in solitude without any other distractions in your life? Do you do it often? Because that is his pattern. Because Jesus understood that where his roots were, there his fruit would be. 
And let me say this, if Jesus felt it was necessary, if Jesus felt it was necessary to go to an isolated place, to, to go to a place of solitude, if he thought it was necessary, then what does that mean to us? What does it mean to me? When I first heard this, I'll tell you, honestly, and I don't know, maybe it was because I grew up and, and my dad told me, if there's no blood, don't cry. Okay? No blood, don't cry. Then I'm thinking, this just doesn't seem like enough meat to me. It doesn't seem manly enough in the man sense. And I don't know what it means to you ladies. I have no idea. Okay? I'm, I'm not there. But, but I struggled with this when I first started to encounter it. But I'll tell you, I long for something more with Jesus. I long for something more in the presence of God. And I kept hearing, there is more, there is more. And so I pause to spend time with him in solitude. All right, I got to move on. Um, when we remove ourselves from the distractions of this world, from our phones, from TV, from the news, from work to the do list, and we're simply to be with God, that's solitude. That's solitude. There's no agenda. There's no, when I come to him and I purposely say I have solitude, I have no agenda with God other than that I am in his presence. And that's good. It's here that I hear God speak. The Holy Spirit convicts, the Father comforts, and Jesus renews. It's a wonderful place. So let me talk about silence, okay? If solitude is the furnace of transformation in our lives, what is silence? Thomas Keating, he's a 20th century monk, said, silence is God's first language. Everything else is a poor translation. So what is being said when he says that silence is God's first language? Well, first and foremost, it's this. It's being in his presence. I am not summoning God. I don't summon God. Hey, God, here I am. Come to me. Think about that. That's crazy. God doesn't need to come anywhere because he's here right now. So my silence is not to summons him. It is to be with him. And this part of God's first language is, is that it's this. It's, it's silence that speaks. Let me, let me say, therefore, the silence that I speak about is not nothingness, but a change of direction. It's a movement paused to allow to move in another direction. Silence is a movement paused so that I can move in another direction. So I'm silencing myself from what I normally do, my everyday life, my to-do list. Rain and I like to go for a hike, and um, uh, I am a destination hiker. I, I like to get somewhere. Um, and, I, and, I, and if you go walking with me, I tend to walk too fast. Um, I can leave my wonderful spouse behind um, when I walk because I walk too fast. But one thing that is great is we go on these 
hikes and being here on the island is that you oftentimes can walk up onto a vista and you get to overlook a valley. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And and the way I want to describe this aspect of silence is it's like walking up to a, a vista and looking out and you look out to the valley and this will happen at times. I'll be looking over here and Raina will say, look over here. Now I have an option, right? I can pause where I am looking and I can look where she is looking because there is something for me to see. Or I can go, no, I'm not going to look there because I don't want to miss what I'm seeing over here. But then I'm going to miss what's over here. Silence is that point of pausing what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm saying to be in another space, in another direction. I hope that makes sense to you. Mark McIntosh says this, silence is not to succumb to a final speechlessness, but to become free enough from self-preoccupated speech so to be able to be available to the infinite dialogue which catches up our language into a celestial converse namely the communion of a triune person. Does that sound like a mouthful to you? Have I lost you there? Am I losing you there? Okay, just trying to unpack this a little bit. It's this. Well, I think what he's trying to say is that silence is a silence from, from my everyday. It is a silence from my busyness. It is a silence from my distractions. It is a silence from the world around me that I then can hear God. Turn to Psalm chapter 46, okay? Psalm chapter 46. And if you were to read through Psalm chapter 46 in its entirety, we're going to take one little piece out of that, okay? One little piece out of that, and I promise you I'm coming to the end of my message here. One little piece out of it, and it's that part, Psalm 46.10, and it says, be still and know that I am God. Now, I want you to turn there because what I want you to see is you read through this here, you will see that there is a midst of war taking place. There is a midst of trial and struggle and back and forth. In the midst of all of that noise, you have God, God, okay? Not the psalmist, but God saying, be still and know that I am God. Stop striving is another way to put it. Stop striving and know that I am God. The the psalmist, he depicts a battle. In the midst of the battle, the call from God is to be still. The call for stillness is a call for change. It is slowing down from what you are doing to be able to see, stop, and see that I am God. Silence yourself and surrender control that I may show my control. Jesus withdrew allowing him to connect with God. It offered the ability to remain in the Father. In all that he was doing with the pressures from the people that were wanting to make him great, he withdrew to be with God. And so I come back to this. 
if it was good enough for Jesus, for solitude and silence, then what's stopping us? What's stopping us? Where we put down our roots, we will find the fruit. You're finding that you're not patient enough, you're not loving enough, you're not kind enough, you don't have enough joy. If you are struggling in these areas, where do we find it? I don't want anybody to drum up patience. You'll never find enough of your own patience. You'll never find enough of your own love. You'll never find enough of your own joy. You'll never find enough of it in yourself. It's impossible. And I know some pretty joyful people. Matter of fact, I know a guy that is known as the happiest man in Canada. He was on Oprah Winfrey. True. Happiest man in Canada. And he is a pretty happy guy. But his happiness does not come from himself. It comes from God. And I'll be the first to tell you. So, what does it look like for me? Well, I can tell you that it doesn't look like I sit there and I don't exchange words with God. In silence, I sit and I have a conversation with God. By sitting in silence, it doesn't mean that, that I put away the things of this... Uh, I, I, but sitting in silence does mean I put away the things of this world. I don't touch my phone. I don't look... The first thing I do in the morning is I do not look at my phone. If I do, and I can't tell you every day I don't do that, but if I do, I'm so distracted. I'm looking at the weather, I'm looking at my emails, I'm looking at the sports, and who won, who beat who, and why didn't can't the Canucks be on a good roll, and all of that good stuff. I am distracted. I, I leave that alone. In my silence and solitude, I do not touch that. It gives, I give up my agenda. It means that I don't have the first word or the last word when I am in silence. It means that I praise him and I thank him and I enjoy him. It means that my mind will wander on things that I need to do and emails I need to complete. And that's okay because God's okay with it. It means that I'm giving God my first. So here are three reasons why I think that we struggle with solitude. First is this, that we're too addicted to noise and busyness. We're too addicted to it. Secondly, we don't know how to be alone with God and ourselves. And third, it's just plain hard. It's not easy. So, I will end with giving you three invitations, okay? And I'll try to go through these quickly. They are here in this sheet. You can pick them up, and they go through details. What I want us to do here as a church is I want everything we do is to be seen as an invitation, this is simply God inviting us to be part of what he is doing. And so you engage wherever you're at with God. And hopefully it will cause us to go deeper. So here are my three invitations. My first invitation is this. So if you're just going to go, I just going to dabble in this. I just want to kind of put my fingers, put my toes in the water, that's all. Then I would say, do this. Pause and pray. Practice, practice pausing. So Take your, take your phone, set an alarm for a certain time of the day that you think that most days you can actually accomplish pausing. Mine is 11.30. At 11.30, I pause and I pray. And then I do three other Ps. When I pray, I pray something. I think I have a prayer up there. No, I don't. Um, it's something like this. Nope, that's not it. I have three other Ps. Presence. My second P is purpose. And my third P is plan. 
So when I pause and I pray, I say, God, I acknowledge your presence in my life this very moment. And Lord, I want to express to you that I know that you are purposeful in everything you do. And so, right this very moment, I am pausing to surrender my plans for the rest of my day to you. It's very quick. It's very simple. But it's another way for me just to find myself in a place of solitude and silence. Sometimes that's driving my car and my alarm goes off and I turn off the radio and I just pause as I'm driving and I can do it when I'm driving. Sometimes it's when I'm walking. Sometimes it is, I got somebody in my office and I wait till they go and then I do it. Okay? Second one, because I've run out of time. A short practice of solitude and silence, okay? This one here is for you that go, okay, I want to go just a little deeper. I want to just try this out. So I'm just saying to you, pick five to seven times this week. Maybe you're going to do it every day this week, or maybe you just do it five times, but try to pick at least five times this week when you'll actually practice setting time aside where you will have solitude and silence with God. That might be in the morning. For me, it works in the morning. For you that have kids, it's not going to work for you in the morning at all. Your kids are up. It might be when they're down at a nap. Or it might be for you or husband and wife when your kids are in bed, unless you have teenagers because you go to bed before them. But it, it, you're just going to pick a time when you know you can have three to five, three to, two to three minutes where you can actually be in silence and solitude. And I share on the sheet how you can walk through that and what that looks like, okay? Third one is this. So maybe you're going, I'm ready to dive in, Scott. I want to go for it. What, you say 10 minutes, I'm going to do 20. Nope, don't do that. Do two or three minutes. But what I would say is if you are already regularly spending time with God, you're getting up in the morning or noontime or in the evening and you're regularly spending time with God, I would encourage you begin to put this in the beginning of your time with God and make it a holy habit. Quiet yourself down. I set an alarm. And when I first did this, I jumped in 10 minutes. That's just kind of, I can do this, 10 minutes. And man, I set my, set my watch in 10 minutes and I was looking at it. You know, I'm quiet and I'm looking at it. Is it almost done? Is it almost done? And now there are times that I get done, 10 minutes goes, and I think, no way, and I hit it to repeat because I want more time. But I'd say start it off at the beginning because my time with God in that silence and solitude before I open up the word of God, man, it makes this that much greater and that much more of a treasure. So I would encourage you, wherever you are, and maybe you just listen to me and go, that was great, I'm not there yet, great, no problem. But maybe in one of these three, you will take up that invitation to engage in God in silence and solitude. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. God, you are precious. Not because we make you out to be precious, Lord, but because that's who you are. I don't get sometimes, Lord, how it is that you would love me. How it is that you call me to come and be with you. But you do, God, because that's who you are. 
And I pray for us as a church, as we journey with you together, that God, we would, we would desire to be with you. Moving away the distractions so that we can enter into hearing you. Thank you for this day. Amen.